We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast. <laughs> Wednesday, July 1st. That siren you heard came from the mouth of John McKechnie. Let's I'm go. I'm Nick Whale. John, it has been 182, 182, 182 days since we last talked about college football. Blink and it's gone, right? Yeah, in an organized setting. Um, yeah, not much has happened in that time. You know, it, <laughs> it feels like it's just flown by. It's just been a... You know, another stock six months. Nothing really remarkable to, to mention. I've been in the... Um in the uh we our sponsor the the tac cryogenic uh freezer for the yep. last six months actually since we since we exited the the recording studio last time mm-hmm. uh just came out of it um kind of like an austin powers type of exit where i've, I've had to like reacclimate uh to society i have a mustache now um but Boy, yeah do you? i thought i had a mustache and it turns <laughs> out i don't it, it's about one percent of what you have this thing is 
crazy. It's I think it's taking on a mind of its own. I think it's trying to defeat me somehow from within. How much know. does that thing weigh? It's it's got some some heft to it. I think uh, yeah. Next time I, I go into an actual gym and, and hop on the scale, I'm gonna have to like try to like zero it out yeah. for mustache weight. Yeah, I, it looks like it's made out of like steel wool that you've dyed the exact <laughs> color of your hair. Uh, that's kind of the impression that I get. Uh, I will note that in the in the 182 days since we last chatted. I have watched Austin Powers, so I now understand that reference, oh which I would not have before. Let's go. That's one of, I think, three movies that I've seen in the past calendar year. Um, so things are kind of really just right hammering direction. them out during quarantine. Yep, yep. I saw two movies in a theater during this last six months. Really? Knives Out and Uncut Gems. So both pretty topical. And then, yeah, watched Austin Powers. So You're a film buff now. I wasn't going to say it, but it, things are starting to look that way. Um, we have a lot to get to. We do. Suffice it to say. Uh, I think the big news probably right now in college football above all else is that North Carolina is emerging as a powerhouse or a future powerhouse right before our eyes, a team that going all the way back to 1998. So the last 22 years of college football has exactly one season with double digit wins when they went 11 and three under Larry Fedora in 2015. Uh, of course they, they lost that memorable Russell athletic bowl that year, uh, kind of failed to cap to that Baylor? season off. If you're right on this, I'm going to be very impressed. It was against Baylor. Yeah, man. 49 to 38. It was Carolina. a good Baylor team, so no disrespect. It was. It was. UNC was, was ranked 10th at mm-hmm. the time. Um, Baylor had four players attempt to pass in this game. Oh, they really – that that's, I guess, when Art Browse was really feeling himself. Yeah. Uh, none of them threw a touchdown. We had, we had one pick, uh, but Chris Johnson, Johnny Jefferson, Devin Chafin, and Lynx Hawthorne all through passes for Baylor in that game. Um, DFS gods of old. Yeah, this is back in the Ryan Switzer days, back in the Bug Howard days mm-hmm. for UNC. Uh, but those days are, are now in the past. They they land, uh, depending on, on what recruiting service you prefer, but pretty much universally the number one cornerback in the class of 2021, Tony Grimes from Virginia Beach. Uh, almost universally a top 10 player, uh, but by some accounts kind of borderline top five, some sites, mm-hmm. uh, I know 247 that I'm looking at right now, has him as the number seven player in that class. Uh, and with Tony Grimes' commitment yesterday on Tuesday, UNC is now a, a top three recruiting class heading into um, you know the, the senior season for a lot of these guys. A chance to improve, of course, a chance for other powerhouse teams to move up. But it, this isn't a situation where, you know, as a Wisconsin fan, there's been many, many times in the past where Wisconsin will just land a bunch of like two and three stars early on and all of a sudden they have the six rank recruiting class yeah and then you fast forward six months and they're at 45 overall because <laughs> everybody else catches up there will be some catch up here but i mean this is a, a very legitimate class to build on what was a very good class in 2020 right yeah so i mean coming into this i didn't when it came, when it came to like mac brown getting hired i just felt like unc had officially declared itself as like a shiftless football program it's like okay Larry Fedora is gone. We're going to get a sort of figurehead guy and Mac Brown and, you know, get the nostalgia back from, from his days coaching there in the nineties. But it, it, it signaled to me that like, they weren't overly serious. Like I've, I felt like best case scenario, this would be like a little bit better than, than what Herm Edwards has been able to do at Arizona state, something like that. But, you know, he kind of builds this ace staff around him and kind of becomes the CEO of the program, which I think is the best way to go about uh, being a head coach. I mean, uh, Davo Swinney kind of does something similar. Uh, obviously, uh, Mac Brown, much more old, much older, kind of a different uh, 
path of getting there. Uh, but yeah, being the CEO of this program and really just tapping in and maxing out what it can be um, and taking advantage, first of all, of Florida State's really, really you know, downtrodden 2018 season uh, and attracting Sam Howell to flip his commitment uh, to UNC. That really started the ball rolling. And obviously he had a ridiculously dominant freshman season throwing like, I think, you know, the second or third most touchdowns. Like Bortles numbers. Yeah, truly. So uh, it started with him. And yeah, now you look at at you know we're into July and UNC sitting there at number three in their in their recruiting rankings on the twenty four seven composite and they took you know big schools lunch money for Tony Grimes. It's not like he was you know some like Chapel Hill native shoe in. He was always going to go there type of guy. Like no, they had to fight off Georgia. They had to fight off A and M. I think Ohio State was in the mix as well for this kid and and he picked UNC and it, it just feels like UNC really has the ball rolling. And if you zoom out to uh, the way that the ACC picture shapes up. I, I tweeted this out yesterday. I think that UNC versus Clemson is like the easiest like matchup lock of any of like the potential conference championship games. It just feels like UNC, if they don't win their division, I will be very surprised. And of course, Clemson as well. How surprised are you that UNC under Mac Brown has has taken this upward trajectory so quickly? Like to me, this felt like a lot of the hires that we've seen. Over the years where I wouldn't say Mac Brown is like a disgraced head coach, you know, just a guy who in a lot of ways kind of wore out his welcome at Texas after a really successful run uh, in the first half of the last decade. It just felt like kind of a Hail Mary type of name recognition hire. Yep. Um, and, and usually, at least the examples that come to mind for me, usually this doesn't end all that well. Um, you know, you just wonder like the attractiveness of playing for a coach who's in his upper 60s. But then you consider that Mac Brown and Nick Saban are almost exactly the same age. They are. They're both 68. Their birthdays are like two months apart. Uh, Mac Brown certainly looks quite a bit older than, yeah, a, than just, a lot of those other coaches. Where's but his hairstylist? Although I, like I think been, he rocks the gray very well. He's been like 68 years old since that national championship. In, <laughs> just in, in amber. Yeah, right. He's, just like, he's been in the cryo chamber. Um, I mean, how surprised are you that it's, that it's taken this kind of turn? I mean, in your mind, like has UNC kind of been this quote unquote sleeping giant type of program all along? I th- I just figured that with the amount of other, you know, division one or like ACC schools within uh, the state of North Carolina, that that's a lot of like mouths to feed a lot of different schools that you're pulling against um, to to uh, to get those recruits. So I felt like, yes, North Carolina is a really talent rich state but you know you're fighting against nc state you're fighting against clemson who obviously is going to like have major pull there even though they're in south carolina uh you know wake forest is doing their thing uh duke you know that they, they have like their own kind of barriers to, to get kids in that that type of thing but tennessee is always very involved in in the state of north carolina georgia i mean i always remember the 2012 recruiting class getting both keith marshall and todd Gurley out the of class out of unc i mean at the time it really was um but yeah so the, for them to have the kind of success that they had last year, it's, it suggests that Mac Brown is able to take the, the talent left over from le, the Larry Fedora era, which was kind of just, you know, looked down upon mm-hmm. and it turned it into a very, very promising program. And they had a, you know, a pretty emphatic bowl victory. Um, now they're, now they're getting his guys in, he's going to have a true sophomore quarterback. I mean, the window uh, is open for them and, and, you know, another Sometimes a school will kind of have like a heat check type of storyline. I think here's one for you. So uh, Chaz Surratt, 
um, is a guy who used to be the quarterback at UNC, kind of like rotated with a couple other guys uh, back in like 2018, 2017. Mm -hmm. Never really like took hold of the starting job once Trubisky left. Uh, He switches sides of of the ball after Sam Howell wins the job last year. Uh, I think Mel Kuyper might have said that he's the number one inside linebacker prospect for the draft next year. Like that's just found money. Like that's just like – like I said, that's a heat check. Like, oh yeah, your bet your old backup quarterback is now like a dominant presence in the middle of your defense. Like, God, like well, you need those. You need breaks like that, yep. you know, to make a, a dramatic leap like this in a relatively short period of time. You know, it's one thing to have the recruiting classes, but um, you know, a lot of times you you kind of build up toward you know whether it's in this case 2021, 2022, 2023 when those guys kind of phase their way in. But I mean, like you said, they found a way to win with the previous guys while also adding even more talent at the same time. And a lot of this talent. I mean, the, the cornerback we're talking about, he's not going to impact this season at all, obviously. Right, yeah. So he he's just a guy that can continue to, or he can like keep UNC. I, again, I don't imagine them finishing in the top five. Yeah. That would be wild, but... I think it's hard to bet against them finishing inside the top 10 at at this Mm -hmm. stage. And, you know, uh, when a domino as big as Tony Grimes falls at this stage of the recruiting process, this year, I I really don't know what's going to end up, you know, happening with with the decommitments this fall. Um, A lot of people think that it's going to be just absolutely bonkers uh, once, like, on-campus visits start again. But either way... um, UNC is is yeah now positioned to have like this crazy 2021 class and like yeah things will continue to snowball and once you stack uh you know top 10 type of recruiting classes that's how you start to challenge for like actual like new year right. six bowl appearances and, and maybe even the playoffs so looking at the north carolina schedule major opportunity assuming this game happens as scheduled on september 12th they play in atlanta against auburn and that's, you know, that's billed as kind of the kickoff game. But they do play UCF the week before. Again, we'll see what happens with that. Um, but that Auburn game, you know, is kind of their chance, I think, to make a statement nationally. And the rest of the schedule is pretty favorable. I mean, you, you do get Virginia Tech at home. Uh, that's on October 10th. But, you know, that's surrounded by James Madison, Georgia Tech, Virginia, uh, Duke. You have to play at Miami uh, in, in late October. But then you finish out at home against UConn, home against Pittsburgh, at Boston College, home against NC State. So you avoid clemson altogether during the regular season yeah so th- this is really set up for them uh to to take down the division i think that that game against miami that you mentioned will kind of decide um this division but yeah going back to that auburn game i mean what an awesome storyline you got sam howell versus bo Nix, the sec freshman of the year and um i was i was on the radio in louisiana yesterday and, and one of the hosts is an auburn grad uh but I, I didn't know that. Um, so they, we were talking about UNC just based off of this Tony Grimes news. And there's like, you know, what do you think happens with, with that? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm taking Sam Howell 10 times out of 10 over, over Bo Nix. Yeah. And, you know, they, they bristled at that one pretty hard. But, yeah. oh, well. But I think Auburn, you want to catch them early in the season. So uh, because they're, they lost their pretty much entire uh, defensive line and I think most if not all of their offensive line as well and they, they lost um, their their ace cornerback to the NFL as well so they're replacing a ton at Auburn so I think UNC on the other hand is returning a ton of production on both sides of the ball I mean it, you have Sam Howell his best receivers the running backs a uh, bunch of the offensive linemen all back I think there's a there's a very legitimate chance at UNC pulling off the you know the quote-unquote upset there and that would really really set 
set the tone there. I mean, if they, they already have captured the headlines, no one has ever talked about UNC football this much that I can remember. Not, not since the days of Akeem Nix. Seriously. So, you know, if if they stack an Auburn win on top of that, take down an SEC opponent, man, like, yeah. the boys will be buzzing. I think Auburn is always in these games every year. They they sign up for some like massive season defining like yeah. Is Melzahn's job on the line if they lose this game? Like every that's how year. he knows he has a pulse. Yeah, is, right. is, is if his job is horribly in question. So you mentioned you know the potential for that UNC Clemson matchup in the ACC title game. What is the current status on Justin Ross, who seemingly kind of out of nowhere about a month ago? We get this news that that he's dealing with a spinal fusion issue that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just don't understand how you don't know about that. You know, how can you be this ridiculous athlete and then yet have what seems like a very serious injury? Is he officially, officially not playing? He, as far as I know, will not be playing this year. Um, I I don't know if his football career in and of itself is over, um, but there's some other interesting storylines that go along with that because he's not going to be playing this year. Um, He has some, you know, NFL draft stock, but it obviously takes a hit by having an injury this severe and, you know, one that, you know, is going to be tough for NFL team doctors to project one way or the other. Um, so, you know, you can kind of draw this parallel, uh, different circumstances, but Mike Williams, week one of his junior year, um, injury, suffered a neck injury on the goalpost, catching mm-hmm. a touchdown against App State. And he, you know, theoretically could have gone to the draft, but it behooved him to return to Clemson. And then he obviously uh, was was dominant in 2016 and and was on that that first national championship team. Um, So maybe Ross does something like that and, and, you know, retools his NFL stock uh, by returning for for what would be his redshirt junior year, his true uh, senior year. But yeah, I think that that is a that's a huge kick to this Clemson receiving core that was already going to have to replace a lot of production without T. Higgins, and I, I think that Ross was going to be able to shoulder a lot of that, and they've recruited super well. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Ross out, uh, out, that really does uh, change things, and it really, really is going to be a test of uh, these sophomore receivers for Clemson. Fair to say, it would have been Ross versus Jamar Chase for the preliminary favorite to be the first receiver off the board yeah he would he would have definitely been up there um rondell moore obviously he was yep. injured a lot last year but he would have been uh right in the mix there uh the the trick with, with projecting the clemson guys is always like weighing out how much damage they can do versus when they get pulled f- because they're right. just pummeling the <laughs> crap out of t- you know team yep. whoever we i feel like we always run into that issue when we're talking about uh clemson guys when they're on the dfs slate uh during the season it's like oh i like trevor lawrence but like you know he's going to be like done by midway through the second right. quarter you know what do we do about this but yeah uh ross um definitely would have been the one of the a, at least top 10 uh fantasy receiver and i think also like for for like devy or like you know looking ahead to the nfl draft next year um he would have been you know probably uh like 1b behind jamar chase so position rankings are all up on the site those went up live last week earlier yes. this week last yes they week. went up last week um speaking of trevor lawrence he comes in fourth among quarterbacks um you know like you said a, a big reason for that is i i think last year it, that probably didn't happen quite as much as we thought because and i hesitate to even call it a slow start when clemson is rolling through opponents but they i don't think they quite rolled through a lot of teams like we thought they would lawrence especially through those first three or four games looked a little bit shaky decision making mm-hmm. wise uh, and obviously was great at the end of the season and and, and willed that team all the way uh, to the college football playoff but he comes in fourth Justin Fields our number one overall quarterback I, I don't remember where he played before Ohio State but he now plays at yeah, Ohio beats State. Me. <laughs> uh, Sam Ellinger 
Number two at Texas, Holton Allers at East Carolina. He's good. Not man. a name I don't think a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, and then Sam Howell, who we've talked extensively about at North Carolina. That makes up our top five quarterbacks. Yes. So, oops, Siri, what are you talking about? Just got uh, triggered by the Justin Fields talk. Yeah. <laughs> my fo- my phone like sends my heart rate going up. Calling nine one one. Heartbeat unsafe. Um, yeah. So Fields is is you know the number one with the bullet. Like he's just ridiculous. He had like a forty to one uh, touchdown to interception ratio in the in the regular season last year. Um, you know he runs a fair bit. He's gonna I think with Ohio State um, losing J.K. Dobbins and then uh, uh, losing Master Teague to an Achilles injury this spring. They did bring in Trey Sermon from Oklahoma, but I think there's a chance that uh, they ask Fields to do a little bit more as far as a rusher. Um, so that that just you know adds up to even more uh, fantasy goodness for him. So he's an easy number one. He goes number one in, in most of the drafts that I participate in. Uh, Ellinger, you know, I don't know how much more he can really do at this point than what he's already done. You know, he, he's a guy that can throw for 3,000 yards. He can run for, uh, you know, 10 touchdowns, that type of thing. So uh, just really consistent play from him every week and love the rushing production. Allers is a guy who um, at East Carolina just kind of runs a funky system, but they're, they're pretty up-tempo. Um, Allers is pretty athletic. He he didn't run as much last year on a per game basis as he did the previous year, but he got a lot better as a passer and he's got some like really serious weapons at receiver with uh, CJ Johnson and Tyler Sneed. Um, so great supporting cast, everything kind of sort of a product of the system, but you know, you can play to that strength when you're talking about college fantasy. Um, Lawrence, I still, I'm not sure if by the time that, you know, toe meets leather in September that he's going to still be inside my top five. Um, but I think, it's hard to argue other people ahead of him beyond those first three. So I still feel all right about uh, Lawrence at four. Um, And, you know, this is going to be a test of his ability um, now that he doesn't have Ross and Higgins with him. So he's going to have to elevate the guys like uh, Joe Nada, uh, Frank Ladston, and um, and Amari Rogers, who's already a little bit established, but he's more of a slot guy. Um, And then Sam Howell, um, I think some people are worried about a bit of a touchdown regression for him because he threw touchdowns at such a ridiculous rate a year ago, one that's kind of unsustainable. But, you know, not to draw this direct comparison, but, you know, Tua threw a crazy amount of touchdowns on a per pass basis and Mm -hmm. it never really slowed down. And he's he's got his uh, supporting cast back. So um, I don't really see a huge like sophomore slump Mm -hmm. or anything uh, for Sam Howell. Is there a chance that Clemson pulls back on Trevor Lawrence rushing? at all i mean he he increased his attempts by over 40 in total from 18 to 19 um and with that came a, a dramatic increase in yards a dramatic increase in touchdowns i know we kind of went in the middle uh, in terms of our projections roughly the same number of rushing attempts uh but but quite a few uh fewer yards and then three fewer touchdowns i mean is there anything to clemson wanting to do what it can you know even if it might work against the ultimate goal of winning the national championship to preserve trevor lawrence's health whether it's for him personally or for him looking ahead to the nfl draft yeah i would i would love to see the like the actual designed run count or or whether it's something where like the coaching staff just needs to tell trevor lawrence like we don't need you running this much, man, because, you know, he, he does have, you know, such the bright future. I mean, a, a quarterback of like a Peyton Manning type of uh, status, um, 
does he does he need to be taking all these like unnecessary hits mm-hmm. against like you know uh, NC State when they're already crushing them that type of thing? So yeah, I did dial back uh, my expectations as far as his rushing numbers are concerned. Uh, and then you know when they have uh, Travis Etienne back in the fold, they still have Lin J Dixon. Um, they have a, a five star freshman in Demarcus Bowman coming in too. Like there, there's just so much uh, depth in that backfield to where it's like they it would be borderline irresponsible to like just like keep asking Lawrence to keep running it as much as he did last year he obviously can I mean he ran away from the Ohio State defense which was crazy one of the strangest things I feel like I've ever seen but so he can do it I just think that Clemson will uh, try to scale it back a little bit this year I feel like he's proven what he needs to prove in terms of that you know as, as it pertains to to NFL projection give me a guy outside of your top five who uh you think by the time we get to like mid-October, you're going to regret, you know, maybe ranking him a little too low? Um, let's see here. So I think, I think Mikhail Cunningham has that possibility for, for Louisville. He was really, really effective last year once he finally took over the job. Uh, and another guy who, uh, when going through the projections, I, I kind of felt like there was a lot working in his favor. It was Kyle Trask, actually, at Florida. Um, he seemed to get better over the course of the season last year. And this is a Florida offense, a Dan Mullen offense. Um, obviously, he didn't have a passer of um, of Trask's level after Dak Prescott left. I mean, trying to like get anything out of Nick Fitzgerald as a passer, like does it? You know, you deserve like a, a Pulitzer Prize or something. Or, <laughs> but. Um, Basically, what I'm trying to say is Florida throws it a lot, and they also don't have um, a lot of rushing talent like outside of Trask when it comes to the, that backfield. So they ask him to do a little bit more once they get in close towards the goal line. Um, so he's got the the added bonus of maybe pushing for the SEC lead in pass attempts other than K.J. Costello at Miss State. Um and he's deadly accurate. He's got the best tight end in college football and Kyle Pitts. Like that's just, that's a great setup for him. Uh, it's a well-designed Mullen offense and he gets like a little bit of a, a rushing boost as well. So I think Trask sneakily, uh, he goes like in like the 10th or so round in a lot of drafts that I've been doing in 12 teamers. Um, I think that he could end up being a, a, uh, a top 10 quarterback this year as well. All right. So looking at the running back position, no surprise who sits at number one, Chuba Hubbard, after a ridiculous sophomore season, uh, he's back. Travis Etienne, again, not another surprise at number two. Kenny Gainwell at Memphis at number three. Jarrett Patterson from Buffalo at number four. And then Journey Brown from Penn State at number five. And a few recognizable names a little bit lower down. Brees Hall coming off of that awesome freshman year at Iowa State. You have him at number nine. Najee Harris just outside the top five at number six. Um, I'll give you the option. Either talk about any of those guys in the top five, or I'll ask you the same question as I did for the quarterbacks about who are guys that, you know, deep down, you really want to tack on an extra 400 yards or tack on an extra four touchdowns, but uh, you kind of had to hold back from from doing that. I feel like there's almost one that, that, that satisfies both questions, and it is Journey Brown, because like it, I just as I continued to like do deeper and deeper dives into Penn State, and, and they brought in uh, Minnesota's offensive coordinator, um, so, so that'll help like the open passing game up a little bit more which obviously ends up giving journey brown you know less crowded boxes to run into but i think journey brown's finishing stretch uh last year really gave an, an idea of how effing talented this guy is and how explosive he is um so as it kept going on and and uh you know looking at, at the rest of penn state's uh running back depth chart i just 
I like those guys. Like Noah Kane is solid, and, and Devin Devin Ford is like a nice uh, change of pace guy. But Journey Brown, I think, just proved to the coaching staff there that like he needs to be their number one guy. He needs to push uh, for you know close to two hundred carries or something like that. And I think he can do a ton uh, with it. So Journey Brown, probably not someone that I've seen around the industry being ranked inside people's top tens. I think that a lot of people like him as the, as a sleeper type of candidate. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I kind of went a little bit calling my shot here on, on where I think Journey Brown's going to end up, and he's someone that I'm getting a lot of in drafts and uh, not thinking twice about it. It, especially uh, when you get him like outside of like the sixth sixth round, even so, that's that's a great deal if if you really believe that he's a top five running back like I do. What kind of breakdown are you expecting from Alabama this year? Obviously, Najee Harris is number one, but I mean these projections go 150 plus deep, and there are four Alabama running backs within the top 155, um, and three of those are between 105 and 154: Trey Sanders, Brian Robinson, and Keelan Robinson. Um, you know, traditionally, at least at least of late, you know, it's kind of since the Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry, Trent Richardson, you know, really dominant individual seasons, it's been a little bit more of a timeshare for Alabama. You know, obviously, there's just so much talent and so many options. Um, you know, if, if you could guarantee a larger workload for Najee Harris, I, I would assume he'd be bumped up a few spots. But is there some concern that Sanders especially is going to cut into how much we see Najee Harris yeah it will be interesting to see what Sanders development look like because I think he got a season-ending injury in fall camp last year if I remember correctly so he never got a chance to get on the field Um, but yeah Najee Harris kind of sneakily had some work workhorse characteristics to him a year ago and um, I don't think that Brian Robinson and Keelan Robinson are going to challenge uh, too hard as far as like his carries in regular game script type of situations and I think another nice bonus about Najee Harris from a year ago and we'll see if he can keep this up but I think he had like seven receiving touchdowns um, that might be a big ask that that could be something that regresses a little bit to, to the norm among running backs but he is really talented and you know Alabama is going to be putting him in, in good spots um, so uh, I think overall, I've I like him at, at six. I was I was wondering, you know, once like you know everything got baked out and, and we saw uh, where he landed in the in the final projections, um, where he was going to be and was that too high? But looking at, at ADP and things like that, it's like no. The, I think the industry feels like Najee Harris is a fringe top five type mm-hmm. of running back. Um, I, I think that I think that that checks out. I, I feel good about where his projection stands and and uh when it comes to bama guys like the the ceiling could always go a little bit higher even even right. still um uh, one interesting thing to like keep an eye for is like if mac jones wins the job then you feel better about Najee harris like just not getting vultured as far as like r- rushing touchdowns mm-hmm. but if, if bryce young wins it uh you, we could see some touchdown regression for harris i have a moral obligation to talk about wisconsin this reminds me a lot of 2015 yes, where yes. Melvin Gordon had just left. Uh, the expectation, I think, was Corey Clement would step in. Um, and there was still, you know, Corey Clement, nobody was ever confusing him for for peak Melvin Gordon. But he only plays five games that year, gets hurt. And that was the only time in the last two decades that Wisconsin did not have an individual 1,000-yard rusher. Daria Gumbawale uh, led the Badgers with just over 800 yards. And it was kind of a... A committee with Taiwan Deal, who who ended up being not that great. Alec Ingold, you know, like I said, Clement was in the mix, went healthy. Again, they they're kind of in that same spot. You know, Jonathan Taylor was the guy, bar none, the last three years. You lose him to the NFL draft, and you know, I mentioned Alabama has four guys in the top 155. Wisconsin has four in the top 
145. And I think this is more a product of just not knowing exactly how this is going to shake out. You know, I think Nikia Watson is kind of the prohibitive favorite to emerge as the number one guy, but there's a lot of hype around Jalen Berger. That was a huge commit for yes. them in the class of 2020. I, I think ideally that's the guy the fans want and, and probably is the guy longer term. You know, for me, like Watson is kind of the Agumba Wale of this, of this group. You still have Garrett Groshek who kind of doubles as the fullback at times and mm-hmm. is surprisingly decent uh, compared yeah. to what you'd look like expectations wise. Um, and then Julius Davis as well, looming as another younger option. So I mean, is this going to be just the second time, I think, since like 1995 that Wisconsin doesn't end up with a thousand yard rusher? That's exactly the way I read it, actually. So that that's a great call and a, and a great comparison back to 2015. Even, you know, going back to uh, the program trying to replace a legendary like all time type of running back the right. way that like, you know, they were with Gordon and now they are with Taylor. Um, yeah, Watson, you know, the the sample size is too small to, to say that like he can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wouldn't say like the signs are all there that he is, you know, really going to pick up where they left off and, and going to be like this next great Wisconsin backer, even as good as like Corey Clement was when, when he ended up being mm-hmm. he- healthy in 2016. Um, so, yeah, I'm just not all that sold on on Watson. And, and it's to the point where I feel like the people that take him in like the fourth round or whatever and take him as like their RB1. You're, they're leaning too much on the historical precedents set by Wisconsin and not looking hard enough. They just assume that that uh, this is a true plug and play situation, and and in a lot of a lot of the times it is. But when he's really not even close to being head and shoulders above who's next to him on the depth chart, I think Wisconsin has to kind of mix and match and and mm-hmm. find their way, find the hot hand type of approach this year when it comes to the, their backfield. So if Watson, you know, comes out and, and crushes it early, then I think Chris is going to trust him and, and continue to give him the ball. But I'm just not convinced that he that he will do that or outperform a guy like uh, Jalen Berger to the point where, um, you know, he he's getting like 50 percent of, of the carries for Wisconsin. At the receiver position, how close is Sage Sherratt versus Rondale Moore? Like, if you look at the projections, they're extremely, extremely close. And I, I'm totally fine with giving the slight edge to Sherratt, who had, what, like over 1,000 yards, 66 rece- receptions, 11 touchdowns, and then he missed the last four games of the season and mm-hmm. still put together those numbers. So I, I do agree with you that there's probably a higher ceiling there. Obviously, you lose the quarterback at Wake Forest. Not that Rondale Moore is in a fantastic offense at Purdue. Um, but how close is that top two before you get to some bigger names like Tylen Wallace, Jamar Chase, um, you know, guys who were kind of right at the top of these rankings last year? Yeah, it's it's an agonizing one for sure. And I think what ended up being the tiebreaker was not just system, but also competition for targets and quality of quarterback because the Wake Forest quarterback actually beat out Jamie Newman as a true freshman two years ago and then he ended up losing that job and then Newman beat him out in a straight-up competition Mm -hmm. last year but Sam Hartman is a guy that was um, he was on one of those the Amazon like quarterback documentary thing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, he's QB one. Is that what it was? Something like that. Like he he's a fairly big deal. He's a, a big get as far as Wake Forest is concerned. Um, and then so we have a quality quarterback there. And then you look at Wake Forest. Nobody runs more plays than them. So in terms of fantasy, like that's something that you absolutely like to chase. And uh, they also skew towards the pass more than the run. Um, so that you know they're airing it out. The really really high volume type of system. And then. Then you look at the competition for targets for Surratt. There really is none. Um, Scotty Washington is gone. Uh, Kendall Hinton is gone. So this is going to basically just be a test of how many 
targets can one person physically stand over the course of a college football season. So <laughs> just being pelted. Yes, that's basically how I see it happening. And, and uh, I think that he's more than up up to the task. He's a really, you know, kind of twitchy, freaky athlete. He's a big guy. He's physically dominant out there. So um, all of that was enough to give me the edge or, or give Surratt the edge over Rondale Moore, who obviously plays in, in, an, in an also high volume passing attack at Purdue. But um, you look at that offense and when, when Rondale Moore went down last year, David Bell stepped up in a huge way. He's not disappearing. Like you, you can't just expect that Rondale Moore is going to have like upwards of 20 targets a game when you have a very competent other option in that offense in David Bell, who's like a bigger, kind of like a more traditional uh, looking wide receiver one. So Ron Amo is still the guy at Purdue, obviously, and they're going to do everything they can to, to get him the ball. I mean, heck, they might even like try to do some kind of like crazy Heisman push and just try to give him the ball as, as much as possible. Everyone loves Rondell Moore. I'm extremely familiar with that strategy on NCAA football. I think if I had one wish for this season, other than Wisconsin winning the national title, and Rondane's son winning the Heisman, it would be Rondale Moore playing the maximum number of snaps and never once getting hurt this year. Yeah, that yeah, we we deserve it. Like it's been a it's been a rough year. We could we need some Rondale Moore right. just everywhere. I can't this can't be another LaVisca Chenault situation for me. I don't think <sighs> I can handle that two years in a row. But he ended no. up with the Jags, so it ended it all actually kind of worked out. He tanked his draft stock so he could get to the Jags in round two. That sweet spot. Absolutely. So excellent call there. But yeah, so it, it was a tough call uh between Moore and Surratt, but and Moore uh probably the more fun player to watch, honestly. But um when it when it came down to it, uh, Sirach has had a, a couple more things working in his favor. I think that, so I guess when it, when it all shakes out, I have Surratt edging him out by like one fantasy point. So this is just a, another crazy deep receiver class. It's I mean, awesome. you, you lose, there were, there were like 10 or 15, like household names to college football fans who you lose to the draft last year. And it's just reloaded. You know, I mean, uh, the guys we've already talked about Wallace, obviously everyone knows Jamar chase. We haven't even touched on either of the Bama guys, Devante Smith, who's at six in your rankings, Jalen Waddle at number eight. I, you know, to me, like Devontae Smith has always been like the most boring of the Alabama guys, but has been just as productive as, mm-hmm. as anyone. Um, obviously had the big catch in, in their last national title. Um, I mean, Waddle, he's got to right up there with me with rugs in terms of the excitement potential. And I, I think he's had certain plays where I've been almost even more impressed with with how freaky he is as a speed guy. Yeah, he, I think, was the best player on the field in that Auburn game last year. Mm-hmm. Um, like he had... Let's see here. Did he return a punt in that game? Am I... uh, kick okay. return for a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. He had four targets. Um, he turned that into four catches. Uh, pretty good. Uh, 98 yards. Sure. Also good. Uh, three touchdowns. Hmm. Hmm. So okay. just... Well, it, and then also had the kick return touchdown. So uh, just ridiculous um he's so fast he's so explosive i think he he's like a little bit more of like i think he's a little bit more interesting as, as an nfl player than than even Devonte smith uh, is going to end up being i think that even though he's 510 Jalen waddle he can still uh stick outside and there's just so many things that, that yeah. alabama can do with him so um it was it was tough to f- choose between the two of them but i think that this alabama offense can definitely support two uh top 10 uh receivers they certainly did uh these past couple of years uh, ever since they they joined the 21st century uh with, with authority with, with making the switch to, to jalen hurts and then yep. and then Tua. um so yeah that um this bam on receiving core still loaded and i think w- what you could even like about it even more from a fantasy perspective this year is that there isn't like jerry judy 
and Henry Ruggs there where it's like, right. okay, like I literally don't know which of these four guys is going to go off this week. I know one of them's going to, yep. and I'm going to pick the wrong one. Uh, this year that you have uh, a a higher chance of getting it right this time around when it right. when it's balanced between those two. Yeah, I think there's a, an argument that maybe that works against them, against better defenses. You know, uh, trying to cover all four of those guys last year is, is a complete nightmare. Now yeah. you can kind of hone in on two. But I think when in the games where Alabama is like a 35-point favorite, we might see, I mean, like you said, Jalen Waddle in that Auburn game, four touches, five touchdowns, right? <laughs> I mean, the, that that's very replicable against the Vanderbilts of the world or you yep. know, whoever it's going to be on that schedule. I want to ask you about Rashad Bateman. I hate to offer praise to any Minnesota player not named Lawrence Maroney or Marion Barber, but I was, I mean, we talked about this on the pod last year, blown away by, I mean, the Bateman-Johnson combo was awesome, but Bateman in particular was incredible. I mean, that Minnesota hasn't had a receiver of that talent level, like maybe ever. I mean, it really looked like somebody just plucked like a number one NFL receiver and just threw him on the Minnesota roster. Yeah. They bring back Tanner Morgan. There's not a lot of history of guys named Tanner having... Uh, a ton of success in yeah. college or professional sports that's something to keep in mind <laughs> but Rashad Bateman you have him outside of your top 10 in terms of the rankings is that more a reflection of you know where he ranks in terms of talent some of these guys above him or a concern about Minnesota maybe taking a slight step back after having their best season in probably two decades last year yeah it's more uh part b of that and it ties in a little bit to what we were saying what you were saying about Alabama um, and defense is having a harder or easier time now accounting for uh, Bateman because Tyler Johnson's gone and Tyler Johnson was such like a target monster uh, for the Gophers um, he was just drawing so much attention so the defenses had to play him kind of straight up and, and now Tyler Johnson is gone and the problem is there's really no proven option other than Bateman in, in this passing game um, so I don't doubt that Bateman is going to be like far and away the, the number one target on this offense he I just think that there's chances for like his efficiency to go down on a per target basis just because teams can really roll their coverages over to him and and really uh, try to make those other Minnesota receivers beat them. And then again, uh, Minnesota lost um, their offensive coordinator to Penn State. Uh, That offensive coordinator, his strategy was was like run 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 and then take a shot play that's that's like why uh tanner morgan's yards per attempt was so high he didn't throw that many passes last year but he still threw i think 30 touchdowns uh just because minnesota was was you know like rex grossman f it i'm throwing it deep every time that they're going back there so um i if minnesota changes that philosophy too and isn't sending uh bateman like deep down the field every single time then, then that could also hurt his value a little bit i i think in terms of a talent basis he's definitely like a top five receiver i just think that there are a couple things working against him uh to where i i had him uh just outside my top 10 for fantasy all right, so I want to give you a chance to go off and talk about anything Georgia-related because, and I assume this is because they just have so much ridiculous depth at the skill positions. There's no Georgia players in in, a, in the top five at quarterback, receiver, or running back. So we haven't explicitly hit on them. Um, but if you want to, if you want to talk Jamie Newman, if you want to talk George Pickens, you now have the floor. Okay. Yeah, I think I'll start. Uh with the negative and and end with the positive this is the worst georgia running back group that they've had probably since 2011 um so like that was like isaiah kroll's freshman year um so it's just if zamir white if you could tell me that zamir white 
is what we all thought he was going to be, then I wouldn't be worried about it at all. But he's a guy with two ACL injuries dating back to his senior year of, of high school and then freshman year of college. So he looked fine last year, but he didn't look like the explosive generational type of running back that, that you saw on, on like his high school film. So maybe being a couple of years removed from it gives him the confidence in his knees and, and he'll be ready to roll uh, this year. Um, but I, I think that there, there's definitely a question mark as far as his ceiling goes. Uh, Georgia, I, I have my doubts about them ever really getting the full breakout out of uh, James Cook, Dalvin Cook's brother. Uh, he he's the guy that's like the king of the message boards. Everyone's like, oh yeah, he's the breakout guy, and it just it never happens. Uh, talented, but we'll, we'll have to see. Um, <laughs> king of the message board. Yeah, truly. And then when Georgia should crown a, a player the king of the message boards each year, the, like on homecoming. <laughs> they they need to. Uh, I'm I'm on that site way too often. Did yeah, I send, that might be you at this point. <laughs> did I send you the um, the Georgia fan uh, like chirp at, uh, Snapchat? The the other day where he no, chirped at a so. florida fan uh his um listener uh basically tee it up for you a, a georgia fan what was boasting about um or he was not wearing a mask in like a walmart parking lot and, and the florida fan uh bur- or you know was like hey you should wear a mask and he just goes three in a row go dogs <laughs> I, honestly, I mean, I'm pro mask. I'm okay with that response. Yeah. In that situation, he was provoked. He was provoked, <laughs> so he had to defend his territory and, and mention three in a row against oh, that's Clown Dan Mullen. Yeah, uh, so that was hilarious. But but uh, circling back to to the on field stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think that this isn't a great running back class as far as or group as far as Georgia has. They have a, a freshman coming in, Kendall Milton. He's pretty good, apparently. Kenny McIntosh, I think, was, was an interesting player last year that continues. Uh, to get a little better but it'll be a little bit more by committee uh this year as far as the rushing attack goes but man george pickens uh he's not draft eligible but like if you're talking about like sophomores that that could have i'm not saying that he'll do what like jamar chase did last year i don't know if anyone will ever do what lsu did last year again but uh just in terms of just an electric player that's like man this guy could definitely be playing on sundays right now mm-hmm. he fits that mold and he's he's probably the best receiver that george has had since aj green and I, I feel pretty good about saying that it's he is every bit like you know as like big fast like silky smooth uh just like a a monster with uh with the ball in his hands and also when the ball is in the air like for like if you're going up for a contested catch with him like forget about it so uh Pickens plus having the new offense with, with Todd Munkin. Um, I think that uh, Jake Fromm continued to regress last year. I think Jamie Newman has a much better arm, so I think that they can use uh, Pickens a little bit more vertically this year. So it wouldn't su- wouldn't surprise me if Pickens ends up being like a top twelve uh, fantasy receiver. So that, that's my like positive uh, Georgia angle for this one. So you sent me down a rabbit hole of looking at Georgia running backs from like two decades ago. Uh, with with that comment of like this might be their worst backfield since it wasn't it wasn't pretty for a lot of that that like 2000 to 2009 period a lot of was sean ely yeah a lot of thomas brown a lot of danny Ware. i had a friend that uh shared a, a drunk tank cell with was sean ely oh no way yep that's sweet yeah craig lumpkin mm-hmm. forgot about him he craig was supposed with, to craig be with good. A K and two g's mm-hmm <laughs> the coolest way to spell craig the yeah, only I way mean, luckily they had obviously no sean showed up and that kind of changed things for a little bit um so you, you sent me a tweet uh, that was that was making the rounds yesterday from Fox College Football. Um, it, I wish this was real, but this is something they do, of course, in college basketball, you know, kind of conference versus conference challenges where 
you line up teams typically based on like how the last season went or sometimes historically, you know, if you're doing a big 10 ACC, um, you know, you, you would match up maybe Wisconsin with some other middling uh, ACC basketball <laughs> team, but you know, Duke, Michigan state, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And in the spirit of that, uh, Fox launched a hypothetical big 10 sec challenge to which you proclaim that, uh, the sec would, would mop the floor with uh, the big yeah. 10 fairly uh, easily. And, uh, I'm not going to say I disagree. <laughs> I see that one of the matchups is Minnesota versus Alabama. That's, <laughs> that, ta- that's that a toss-up to laugh. me. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't think we need to litigate like Nebraska or, excuse me, um, Northwestern versus Ole Miss or uh, Purdue versus Missouri, But unless you want to. But if you want to talk through some of these these bigger hypotheticals um, and how you think they'd turn out, I'm, I'm all ears. Yeah, Purdue-Missouri actually settles it on the field. They play each other every year, which is, you know, just an absolute like classic totally every September. <laughs> That's like the Spider-Man meme, like truly. So I'm glad that they lined them up. But um, I think that it would be better this time, just because I think LSU lost so much. Um, I, I understand that you, you, they had to order it kind of based on last season's uh, standings, um, but... I think Bama versus Ohio State would be like the premier um, or Georgia versus Ohio State would be the premier matchup in this one. So I think that Ohio State would beat LSU pretty handily this year. Penn State, Georgia, uh, two teams looking to break through and, and, you know, win the national championship. Um, I think Georgia has a little bit more talent than than Penn State does, but Penn State has done a great job in in recruiting. They they got a lot of their skill guys back. They did lose K.J. Hamler. Um, They also have this guy Micah Parsons on the defensive side of the ball who's just heat-seeking missile. He is so fun to watch, Um, but I I think Georgia would win that one. I was pretty torn on the Florida-Wisconsin one, I'll be honest with you. So, I mean, if you want to get into that a little bit. I, it's not a rebuilding year for Wisconsin. It's it's a weird rebuilding year for the backfield specifically, which yeah. essentially is the team. Um, but I think they bring back like nine defensive starters. Um, you, you know, you have the quarterback back. Obviously, Graham Mertz still kind of waiting in the wings. Um, so I don't think they take a huge step back. If the running back situation solves itself, then the ceiling is raised considerably. Um, but I, I mean, until that's proven, I would I would typically side with you know the the more the more proven side in, in Florida in this scenario. But I mean, it's tough to say, where's the game happening? That's the real question. Okay. If yeah. it's south of the Mason Dixon, I'm going with Florida. Sure. I sure. think Penn state versus Georgia is the most fun of all these, you know, Ohio state LSU is obviously, you know, a premier matchup that, that we almost got last year, but um, Penn state and Georgia kind of mirror each other in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I, I think Georgia's maybe like a year or two ahead in terms of the timeline, but you know, Penn state, you know, kind of had to reset the entire program a decade ago but the way that they've built up with recruiting, um, winning big games, you know, it, it, neither team has been able to reach the actual summit. But I think they've both been in similar positions, you know, where Georgia is, is kind of still trailing LSU and Bama, Penn State still trailing Ohio State. Yeah, they, they um, know what they have to do. And they've just have been they've been gotten the opportunities to do it. And they've blown it. Both schools have done it, right, whether it's exactly. Penn State against Ohio State or Georgia against yeah, Bama. I th- and like I said, I think Georgia's had, they're a couple years ahead, so they've had more opportunities, you know, and, and Penn State will seemingly have those in the coming years, uh, but that would be a really fascinating matchup. Yeah, it, it absolutely would. So, they, yeah, these that would be a really, really amazing matchup. I, I think that I got to agree with you. That would be the most fun of, of these potential well, ones. I, I spoke too soon. Rutgers, Arkansas would be a, a clash of uh i think you get put on a ideals. list for saying that have they ever played each other that's that's like the most random power conference matchup i think possible like arkansas fans making the trip up to new jersey <laughs> <laughs> Rutgers fans making the trip down to fayetteville <laughs> could you imagine like is there a more out of place fan base than arkansas would be in 
in basically New York. Oh my God, that's incredible. <laughs> it's like, wow, I've never seen buildings this tall or, you know, like Rutgers, like I've never seen this much like pork in one, you know, vicinity. I don't, I don't even know what... <laughs> So, yeah, that seriously might be the most random Power <laughs> 5 matchup you could ever come up with. And I think, uh, like, Maryland-Vanderbilt is one that, like, I would find – I would, like, call a bar ahead of time and, like, see yeah. if they could put it on for me in, like, a corner. And I would, like, show up in a trench coat and a, right. and a hat, you know, and just kind of, like, have the collar up, make sure no one's watching me. Uh, j- and then just, like, you know, watch Maryland and, and like, kind of, like, act like I'm – like I'm keeping it cool, but you know, I'm, I'm also a guy in a, in the corner with a trench coat on. I, I had to do that this past year for an NFL game. We I was in, in New York for a weekend when our, I think our flight got pushed back or something on Sunday. And I was like, well, I'm not just going to sit around and not watch football. So we went, went to a bar that according to the Google reviews has all the games on, had all the games on except for the Jags game. So I had to like <laughs> sheepishly like flag down the bartender, not for a drink, but to ask them to put the, the one game that no one else cared about in the entire bar. And then basically do that. Just kind of isolate myself put a couple coats over my head and pretend like I wasn't paying attention. You know, just, yeah, you gotta, you know, you gotta pick the, the, um, the slow one of the herd, I guess, yes, you know? Exactly. So it's like, is, is anyone else watching like the lions bucks game? Yeah. Like oh, I, no? I could probably oh, okay. convince that, convince them to put the Jags on instead yeah. of that. Yeah. I think, and it was like a terrible game too. I want to say it was, I think it was the chargers Jags game when they lost by five touchdowns. Ooh, it was, yeah. The final on that one was 45 to 10 chargers yep um so really glad i put myself through that but i I have a lot of experience you've probably seen me do it many times like back back in like the heyday of when the bucks were like at their absolute worst i still tried to watch every game so we'd go to jenna's or Mm -hmm. nitty or whatever it was that night and i would have to like kind of look around make sure the coast is clear and be like hey can you turn off this game that everyone's watching and put on uh bucks hornets yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) no reason just uh, yeah it's just it's for work sports technically it is um so another Twitter news, uh, there was another, uh, I wouldn't say viral tweet, but a, a prompt that was going around from uh, first posited by Peter Burns, uh, SEC Network, ESPN guy. A great prompt. There's been a lot of this over the last like four months as people just reach or continue to kind of find new lows in terms of Twitter boredom. But he asked, what's your favorite random sports stat that blows your mind every time you see it? And that, I love that. Like it, it's... It can go in so many different directions. I spent like an hour and a half this morning thinking about this. Yes. So uh, I'll like start uh, with college football and like, mo- and like move around to some other random yeah. ones. Um, let's see. Joe Burrow uh, matching his 2018 touchdown total in the final three games of, mm-hmm. of his Heisman season. So like from the SEC championship game through the playoffs. So going up against Georgia, going up against Oklahoma and Clemson, he threw 16 touchdowns, right? He threw 16 touchdowns the entirety of 2018 as his first Crazy. season at LSU. So like that just goes to show uh, the, the type of heater that, that Burrow was on. I think that and it, it's so neat and tidy that it was the same exact number. I think that, that that's just such a really a fun stat. Um, a personal one, uh, just like when I was a kid, this was like, this was like my favorite Ravens season ever that, that didn't end up uh, going anywhere they had the offensive and defensive players of the year that year uh, with Jamal Lewis and and I think Ray Lewis um, but Jamal Lewis ran for exactly 500 yards against the Browns in two games like <laughs> just just absolutely eviscerating them but like he that was the year that he called his shot against uh, I, f- I forget which Browns defensive back but I guess they were friends and he was like yeah I'm gonna set the record against you guys today and then like his first carry was an 82 yard touchdown and it was on after does that, that does he still hold the single game record uh adrian peterson beat it by one yard oh, and, and it right. still yeah, makes me angry 
297 or 296, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that, that gets me mad. And then there is, um, his, so his 205 yard game, I think was in the last week of the season. I, I like distinctly remember, um, Jamal Lewis like running into the end zone running into like the corner where like the fans are and uh you know I still thought this was like I still think it's funny when you see middle fingers on TV but like I remember like seeing like a cascade of like Cleveland middle fingers pointing at Jamal Lewis when he was kind of tormenting their their fans even more uh than he already had so I, I just thoroughly appreciated that and then I guess like my favorite like baseball stat guys is like like Ryan Spader, just like a fun Twitter account that always has good stuff. But like Tony Gwynn's like interesting stats are always yeah. like the most interesting. And I, I, I think he's the number one answer that I saw of people responding or quote tweeting the original tweet. But some people just said Tony Gwynn, like didn't even list his yeah. stat, just him in general. Yeah. I mean, and it works. I mean, I, one that I cherry picked for this was um, uh, he had zero strikeouts looking in his final season and he never struck out more than nine times in any season or struck out looking more than nine times in any single season so the dude just had the most ridiculous batting eye ever and then you know uh to get real romantic here uh pro football focus uh putting julio jones at 2.93 yards per route run one year uh just a romantic stat that we all know and love and remember and you know talk about fondly to this day 2.93 yards per route run everyone knows it extremely fondly Mm -hmm. um (laughs) I, so the one that I, I, I tweeted out, this is one that I I don't even know. I, I really don't even want to get into why I was ever looking this up, but I initially tweeted it out in March of last year. There have been three players in NFL history with the first name Napoleon. I think I was doing some my daily like Napoleon Kaufman news sweep. Yeah. <laughs> the Raiders have drafted all three Napoleons in no NFL way. history. Yes. Nap- no other franchise has ever drafted a Napoleon. You know who they took Napole- Napoleon Harris instead of? Ed Reed. One pick ahead, I think. <laughs> Okay, well, his name was Napoleon, so yeah. uh, if his name was Napoleon, Napoleon Reed, they would have taken him. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, the other one I have, this is NBA-related, and I, I discovered this a few weeks ago when we were doing uh, an NBA pod looking back at some games from the 2000s. Sagana Jop, this is a kind of a deep dive. If you're not a big NBA guy, you probably don't know who he is, but just, he's like a longtime backup center who just kind of bounced around forever. He played in 601 career regular season NBA games and never scored more than 10 points. Wow. And played real minutes in a lot of these games, like average double digit minutes, multiple seasons, you know, started at times like he was wasn't a guy who was just coming in for like 30 seconds at the end. 601 NBA games without scoring more than 10 points. His lone double digit or more than 10 point scoring effort came in a playoff game of all things. So (laughs) the clutch job. Everyone knows it. Basketball reference has a great tool where you can search for streaks. So his streak is obviously 601 games without scoring 11 or more points. The next highest is 352. Like, this is low-key, maybe the most unbreakable record in sports history. Like, oh my no God. one has come close at all. No one is like, – he's doubling up the guy who's in third. You know, like Charles Jones, whoever that is, and uh, from 90 to 98, went 352 games, not scoring 10 points. I don't, I don't think anyone's coming close to this. Until somebody gets within 100, you know, then maybe I'll entertain it, but – um job watch yeah right job watch a record that has simply not gotten the attention that it deserves that's god that is amazing for for so many reasons and like i, I love the idea of like picking like you know who's the, who's the next home run king it's like who's yeah. the next desanya job? job it's an insane combination of longevity like playing 600 games that's like the equivalent of what like eight seasons you know mm-hmm. like if a lot of guys, if you go if you go six straight years without scoring ten points, you're probably just not coming back for a seventh year. Like he was such a unique player that he could play thirty five minutes and take like three shots and still be productive enough to 
warrant a roster spot amazing um I'll, i'm looking through some of the replies andy barons uh yeah who, who works for yahoo he he responded that satchel page threw three shutout one hit innings in the majors at the age of 59 that's pretty impressive it is um some people joking about mark titus and his statistics very funny uh-huh um tony snell has popped up a few times as well of course some people have talked about the Bo Jackson four one forty. That's not. I don't know if we can really count that because has that really been like officially verified? Not that it didn't happen, but I don't know if I would consider that a true statistic. That's yeah. more of like a legend. Yeah, I love. I love like just the urban legend. Yeah. like kind of nature that that you can attach to bo jackson where you can tell me that that he did any one thing and i'll believe you mm-hmm. but yeah let, let's not like say that that is like a, a bona fide like let's not let's not say that that's getting in the guinness yeah. book of world records put it to you that way larry fitzgerald apparently has more tackles than drops in mm-hmm. his nfl career is he that, has 29 drops that's crazy um and what what spencer hall had some like great like comparisons to that like there have been more like bear attacks uh than larry fitzgerald drops in like the <laughs> in like the last 10 years or something i saw one too about uh oh here it is there are more people have landed on the moon than people who got a run on mariana rivera in the playoffs that's insane that might be the best stat ever if i'm mariana rivera i'm telling that to everyone that i encounter you know no matter who it is there's some sort of a, a framing bias but like I appreciate a good framing bias, especially when you can work in some like space travel stuff to to mm-hmm. compare it to like how many runs someone gave up. Incredible. Yeah. I love that. Right. Um, anything else around the college football world that you want to get to? I, I know it's kind of hard to rack your brain with six months worth of news and notes, but we can go anywhere you want here unless you uh unless you want to put a bow on this one and hopefully get back on the mics again soon. Yeah, I feel I feel like we've uh We've we've gone the, the correct number of avenues for this one, so I think we can we can leave it at this one, and we'll, you know we'll we'll be uh, we'll be fresh and ready for that next one as well. And obviously, this will be we we won't need six months six months in between episodes. We'll be we'll be back uh, soon, and you know, God willing, everything culminates in a season happening. Mm-hmm. But you know, we, you can you can get your news on, on that kind of stuff on a different podcast. So we're we're gonna just go on having some fun talking about college football talking pig love talking the pig all right <laughs> enjoy fourth of july weekend uh, like like john said we'll be back soon to kind of officially kick off the jv and dane for heisman 2020 campaign we're ready whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring podcasts on the blue wire network Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.